0: Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then, redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers
1: Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. You wanted
0: to be a doobie. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I was adaptively divergent, even though I didn't know it. With Margaret Aples and Amy Wilson. Oh, he won't eat it. He hates everything.
1: A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas. So you don't have to.
0: Mom is lame. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret.
1: And this is Amy. And you guys,
0: let's start with mailbag. Mailbag. Everyone, did you hear that? (laughs) That is our new, brand new Mailbag theme song. It's not really a theme song. It's a sound cue. It's a sting. It's a sting. Oh, Jinx, buy me a Coke. It's a sting. That's what we call it in the biz. It's a sting. Mm -hmm.
1: Janelle Lake is a harpist from Chicago, and she's also a listener. And so she sent us that wonderful Mailbag cue. Thank you, Janelle Lake, Chicago harpist. We have so many talented listeners.
0: So that's our mailbag sting, Amy, and let's hear our mailbag.
1: Okay, yeah, now we actually have a mailbag. Kendra said, I was listening to the Achilles heel and I agree with Amy that the food decision making is the worst. Whenever we go to our in-laws, they ask what we want for meals several times. And I want to say, I literally do not care as long as I don't have to decide. We can eat potato chips. Just don't ask me. Thank you, Kendra, for backing me up. It is the worst part. I mean,
0: hashtag disagree. The worst part is making the food. But I mean, the deciding is also terrible. She's with me. The deciding. Yeah, I don't mind making it if it's there. I was out to dinner with friends the other day and I said, I want them to open a restaurant where they just serve food. They don't ask you any questions.
1: It's like omakase. When you go to a sushi restaurant, you just say omakase. I hope I'm saying that somewhat correctly. And then the sushi chef just decides, just looks at you and decides what you
0: want and presents it to you. And life should just be that way. I mean, I would have to give them my list of things (laughs) I don't eat, which is sort of lengthy. So it might be a problem (laughs) because then they would bring me like something covered in peppers and I'd be like, I don't actually like peppers. (laughs) But all right. Deciding is for some people the hardest part for me cooking the food. But that's because I believe... You and I are very
1: different in our birth orders. And I think our personalities are very different. It's very true. You're an
0: oldest child.
1: I am a like a super duper oldest. I'm the oldest of six kids and 25 grandchildren. <laughs> You're an alpha oldest. I'm an alpha oldest. And like it shows, right? I know. Like I own it. The, the bossy and the organized. It's all the yin and the yang. It's all part of me. And I would say if people had to guess which one of us was the free spirited, independent challenging, I'm going to do things differently, child, it would probably be you. And that's a middle child
0: or a youngest child? That's a middle. Yeah. Middle. Middle is a rebel. Youngest is a peacemaker. I'm a lower middle and I was a younger. I was a youngest for five years and then the interloper, my sister was born. So I was transferred from a youngest to a lower (laughs) middle, which was not a great. Yeah. So we're talking about birth order, Amy, and we've talked about this before on the podcast we have i'll put the link to our earlier episodes in
1: the show notes for this episode and you know on com so you can find them we did a deep dive very early in our podcast history and we found out this started in 1874 the study of birth order by charles darwin he noticed that the members of the society he was part of some you know super duper white male club only had like oldest children in it or had a preponderance of oldest children and he wanted to see why that was and thus began the study of birth order
0: Yeah, and I think it's worth a revisit, Birth Order. We're going to talk specifically about, like, can we fight Birth Order? But also... Or should we? I I mean, I'm not even sure you should, but I I want to talk about that. Right. Should we try to make oldest kid less, you know, Mm -hmm. alpha and less organized? And should we try to make sure our middle kid is not so middly, not so jam-brady? Feeling sorry for themselves. (laughs) Oldie Lux alert. (laughs) Back in my day. And... I also think there's some revisiting of, what's the study, we talked about it earlier, that some high percentage of United States presidents are firstborn kids. Well, it's it's all the kind of thing, yeah, because firstborns are very
1: dominant. They are conscientious. You know, studies have proven these things. Higher IQ, a little, like a couple of points, maybe. It's minimal, but it is there. And also more anxious, So they tend to be high achievers. They're um, overrepresented among groups of high achievers.
0: Yes. And historically, there's also been a very specific role for firstborn, especially firstborn sons amidst, you know, certain groups of people like the firstborn son, like inherits the farm, inherits the land. And so there is some stuff that is layered into birth order historical study that is about more than just birth order. Look at Prince William versus Prince Harry. Look at William and Harry, guys.
1: (laughs) Like William, had just had to lock it down, right? And be very serious and act very kingly all the time. And Harry can hang out with Oprah. I mean, he is forging his own path. That's birth order
0: right there. It's birth order, but you can't separate birth order from birth expectations. I guess it's all the same thing. You're right. Like It's not just like, oh, you happened to be born in this order, so you came out this way. William was expected to take over the kingdom. And Harry was like, whatever, kid, you're kind of the spare, you know, I mean, and so that's different than saying It's quite literal. Yeah, it's literal and actual in their case. That's right. And so is birth order about actual birth order? Or is it what we layer on expectations of kids based on how they come out when they're born? That's, I think, interesting, too.
1: Well, there's so there's two things. I think we, of course, we parent our kids differently. We don't think that we do, but we do. Our, you know, if we have larger families, our third or fourth child grows up with a slightly different parenting style than our first child, almost all the time. Correct. But then there's also this something called deidentification, which is a biological imperative. Darwin argues, which was that siblings that are adjacent in a family unit like diversify most strongly in their personality traits. It's almost like birds in a nest. Like if you're going to eat the worms, I'm going to get the bird seed. I'm, I can't do the same things as you and survive. So I'm going to diversify as much as possible so that there's enough for both of us. It's a way for siblings to survive.
0: Super interesting and super relevant. The thing of It's not just necessarily like, well, you're going to inherit the farm, so you're only really around if the first kid dies. Like, There's that element of birth order, but also the idea of like the spot for the well-behaved kid who's going to take over the farm is taken. So I'm going to be the artsy kid who gets attention in a completely different way. Right. This was particularly relative to my life, Amy. Does that ring true for you? Well, my... Brother and sister before me were both extremely, they were doobies, for lack of a better word. Are you familiar with the term? Wasn't it Highlights Magazine? I'm sure no one else has heard of it. There was a doobie and a don't be. It was wonder. It was romper room. Romper room. Right. So it was like the doobie did everything right and the don't be did everything wrong. As in like a bumblebee, right? It was like a well-behaved. I believe so. Yes. You wanted to be do be there's also there's a highlights magazine parallel that am i going to be able to come up with goofus and gallant (laughs) goofus i was like rufus and someone it was goofus and gallant gallant did everything right and goofus did everything wrong gallant pulls out his grandmother's chair at dinner time goofus is looking at his phone during dinner goofus you know mugs his grandmother (laughs) for her wallet (laughs) right i was the goofus to my siblings gallant in, Uh in a way I mean, both of my siblings were extremely high achieving academically. Both of them, I mean, they were a boy and a girl. So they were both first children of their gender. Right. And studies do say, like, so
1: in my big family, I'm the oldest girl. And then next is a boy. He's only 16 months younger than me. And he has very much the traits of an oldest child because he is. He's the oldest boy of a large group of people.
0: Yeah, I think that matters. And so... They were very straight and narrow and they were doobies. And I wasn't a total goof. I wasn't a total don't be, but I certainly crafted an identity that was those things are not important to me, you know, being the best student. That is called adaptive divergence. I mean, you didn't know that, but that's right. I was adaptively divergent, even though I didn't know it, but I definitely was like I dress different, I'm different. I mean, that was a big, big part of my and identity.
1: Also, have you I don't know if this was true in your family it was true in ours that there are zigzag trends. Again, this, you'd have to have three or more siblings for, to see this play out. But there are zigzag trends of birth orders that a specialist would say, because siblings are maximally different from the sibling that's right next to them. Like, who are you closest in age to, your sister? My sister and I are a year and 11 days apart. Okay, so you're a year and 11 days apart. Would you say you are maximally different from that sister as opposed to your younger sister?
0: I mean, as children, absolutely. But it's also funny to be our ages now. Like, yeah, things have changed so much in life. Like none of this stuff is almost relevant anymore at our ages. Like, yes, my sister kind of grew up on a very specific straight and narrow path and then became much more artistic and has, you know, gone off and become an actress and become kind of less straight and narrow than she was as a young child. Mm -hmm. And so now I feel like that sister and I are more alike and we pursue, we were, you know, in each other's orbit career wise for a long time and stuff. This is the sister. I have to give some credit. This is how I know Margaret is because of this sister. (laughs) This is also my sister who keeps threatening to write a book called What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, Crying (laughs) Behind the Scenes. About how I stole Amy from her. So I do think a lot of this birth order stuff, and I also like as a child, my identity in the family was like the black sheep kind of and I reveled in that identity. and I liked that identity a lot. Right. And as we've grown up, I ended up moving closest to my parents and I've become a little bit more like the primary point person of the family. And my role has really changed significantly. I don't think anybody I mean, I think people would describe me as the wackier member of the family in some ways. But I definitely have taken on more like a central player in the family upkeep. Like I tend to host a lot of the stuff. And so these roles shift over a lifetime. And that's worth recognizing, too, that like the role you have at eight is not the role you're going to have at later than eight. I think it's pretty
1: important as parents to understand that these roles can shift, should shift and not lean into just like we say, don't let the relatives be saying at Thanksgiving, Oh, he won't eat it. He hates everything, right? Like, oh, no, 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 no green beans for him. You know he won't eat any. Like, don't allow people to inadvertently reinforce this is the kid who always, this is the kid who never. Because, uh, you know, that is when you're locking it down, I think. We need to be aware of these rules, and then we can I think, play against them. But I don't know if we have to worry about it. I think awareness is crucial, though.
0: I think we have to worry about it in terms of... When your identity is overly attached to another person's identity, it is a bad thing. So when your identity is overly attached to your husband's identity, to your best friend's identity as a kid, like we've all done this, like overly attaching our identity to another person, I think is generally a negative. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when we see this in the family, and it's very natural, I have kids with very, very different skills, and I have heard my kid who's not on the honor roll say Oh, he's on the honor roll every year about his brother. And then, oh, I'm, you know, it's part of his identity that he's not on the honor roll because he over identifies with his brother. And Mm -hmm. that is a dynamic that he might feel towards friends, but not the same way because it's not in your house and you're not hearing the most important arbiters of your personal happiness, your parents praise that kid for something you don't have. And that is where I think the birth order stuff becomes something we have to be quite aware of and think about a lot.
1: There's something else that's uh, parental and kind of involved. Can I tell you what it is after this? You may. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my
0: 13th Nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur
1: status. You're a pro <laughs> aunt at this yes. point. Our family has seen a lot of babies, and as soon as they start standing or
0: walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one.
1: Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof. Crucial once your baby is quite literally up an atom. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not
0: want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club
1: app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only
0: redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own. And today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs.
1: The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, And it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs.
0: The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP and I found this podcast so validating
1: So another reason I would argue that this matters is something called split parent identifications. And this is also part of the birth order thing, that siblings can avoid competition. Again, this is not something we think about and decide to do, whether we're 2 or 32. It just kind of happens. That siblings avoid competition by identifying if the oldest kid is a daddy's girl, a mommy's boy, whatever, the next child will naturally identify more with the other parent Hmm. in order for there to be sort of enough parental attention to go around. And I read that when I was doing this research and I thought, okay, that's kind of why this matters. You want to be aware of split parent identifications, which aren't necessarily a bad thing, but they're definitely something to be aware of and maybe play against when you're deciding who's going to run errands with mom today.
0: I don't see that. I'm trying to think about that because Sometimes you say things and you have studies and I'm like, oh, yeah, that that makes sense to me. That doesn't make as much sense to me. I feel like the parental identification in our household goes in very strong waves. Like they were young, they were really mommy. And now that they're tweeny, they're like, mom is lame. Dad is cool, you know, and I don't know. That's interesting to me.
1: And then there's puberty, and there's also developmental stages, like any one-and-a-half-year-old is only mommy can, you know, cut my meat, right? And then right, <laughs> then a lot of three-year-olds are like, dad's awesome, mom, you know, mom uh, keeps the rule book, and la-mo, right? I guess I don't totally see this either, but that would be something to be aware of in your family.
0: Yeah, and I think birth order is one of those things to me that it is in a list of things that are interesting, but it should never be the first thing that's most interesting, that like... This can happen if you have a high needs child that your other child is not getting enough attention, let's say, because you have a high needs child or a child who is momentarily high needs. Like you have a kid who's having a really hard time socially in school. Your other kid is getting less attention. They're aware of that whether or not you think they are or not. And so for me, I think that does play out. It can play out in birth order in terms of Amy and I spent some time yesterday with our children together, something we have never done before. (laughs) We should have led with that. We have never had all six of our children in one space ever, and we did it yesterday. Very randomly, we spent the day together yesterday. We had a free day, and we were like, hey, let's get together with the kids. We had a great time, but it was fun because I've obviously heard her talk so much about her kids. She's heard me talk so much about my kids, and the kids had an amazing time. It was a fun day, but I was thinking about this in terms of birth order because... One of my kids who was there was having a lot of trouble controlling the volume of his voice. He is a very (laughs) loud child (laughs) and he happens to be my middle child. And it's kind of like not to put too fine a point on it, but like, why is the middle child who is, you know, stereotypically gets the least attention? Why is he the loudest kid? I mean, we were kind of laughing about it. We would be several hundred yards away from him, they'd be playing, you know, somewhere four football fields away. And you could hear every word he says. He's just a very loud person. And it's because he had to be loud to be heard literally and figuratively. Yes. And so that is something, I mean, it's real. It causes actual real consequences. That's something we're working on. You know, as Amy will tell you, I had to say probably a half a dozen times, like, let's quiet down a little bit. We're inside, Whatever." Yes, but I will say it's like, it's something that's much more, it wasn't like, I was like, boy,
1: that kid's loud. You know, something was much more present and you were paying more attention to than I think other people were. Because it's your kid, of course. You're like, is my kid kid doing this right? Is it my kid doing that right? He's not that loud, you guys.
0: For sure. (laughs) But I mean, it's definitely something I noticed with him overall, this thing of like, okay, one thing we need to work on a little bit is like the volume of our voices. I have the same problem myself, so I'm sympathetic to it. Mm -hmm. But I think... What I'm saying about birth order in general is that it's a good arbiter of, like, are there qualities that are emerging here that I can see the source of? Can we attack it from the source as well as attacking the behavior? And so one thing, and I mean, Mm -hmm. truly, my husband and I have had... Times because our middle kid is also kind of our go along, get along guy. You know, he's fun, always having a good time. He rarely complains. Hmm? And you look, not- yeah, he's independent. Your, your middle-born and
1: my middle-born are
0: both sort of independent. I can sort of figure it out, right? But as a result, it becomes a little bit of a cycle, right? Where like they get less attention because they need less attention, but nobody needs no attention. And especially when right. we've had other kids going through more high needs situations, my husband and I have occasionally <laughs> said, we need to concentrate on paying more attention. We need to put it on our to-do list, pay more attention when we're going to the store, hey, do you want to come with us and really go out of our way to fight against the thing of like, this kid needs the least attention, but we're seeing some attention-seeking behaviors. And the solution to that is to pay more attention to this kid. And so that's where I think this is practical and useful. Mm -hmm. Give the positive. Yeah. Because your middle child...
1: Again, stereotypes that I think are usually pretty bare out in my experience that the middle child is particularly interested with fairness mm-hmm. and justice and who's getting more than me as in everybody. But it is true. Like when you think about we actually did a whole episode on middle children, too, and I'll put the link to that episode in the show notes. And we talked about how so many of the stereotypes that we have about middle children is that they're sort of forlorn, jealous because of the situation that's been thrust upon them. And we don't look at the positives of it. And there is something about that second kid or the middle kid not having you all over them while they're learning to crawl and walk and stuff. That benign neglect does lead to some good outcomes.
0: Yeah. And then some outcomes that you might want to address so that if you can address, let's say another birth order kind of cliche, I believe, is it the youngest child who's like kind of the pleaser? Yes. The person who's going to fix things. Yeah. Or like the peacemaker, I think, too. Peacemaker. Yeah. Right.
1: Like everybody gets along with like definitely my youngest in my house is the one that everybody gets along with. I mean, we were all ready to kill each other after all this time spent <laughs> together as a unit. And when, you know, each one of us has had a blow up, it's like, why can't you all be more like blank, the youngest person in our family who's never any trouble to anyone. But that's something to watch for. Right. Is that the person's rule? And are you expecting it to the point that it becomes a limitation?
0: You can never show real emotion. Because all of these things have positives and negatives, right? So like being a peacemaker is a great thing to be generally, right? That's a quality you would describe as a positive quality. But- Mm -hmm being a peacemaker at the cost of oneself is not a good quality, right? Like wanting peace at any price. So therefore like you go along with things that you're not comfortable with because you'd rather have peace. That's not as great a quality. And so how do you help kids find, work against whatever, this is the thing, kids are not Even if they start, even imagining that you're at tabula rasa, you know, like a perfectly clean slate to begin with, which you're not because kids have personalities of their own. You can't stop the things that affect kids and make them who they are. You can't snowplow out of their way, nor would you want to, like every furnace that they're going to be forged in. That's the point of life. But I do think that the usefulness of thinking about birth order and thinking about why kids have some of the behaviors they do is saying, in that this heads in a negative direction, sometimes can I pay more attention and then have them need less attention? Is there a solution to the parts of it that maybe aren't as positive?
1: It's the iceberg thing that is not I think it was Stuart Shanker who came up with this metaphor that, you know, your kid's challenging behavior is an iceberg. And the part you can see is the banging their fists on the floor and yelling and screaming. And what's underneath is I'm scared. You know, the new school year starts next week. You know, that dog growled at me two days ago, whatever the things that you can't see are what is shaping the behavior. And you have to get curious about what's underneath and birth order is what's
0: underneath. That's exactly the right way to say it. And I think that that's It's part of what's underneath. It's not determinative. No. If you took 50 people you knew, but you didn't know their birth order and tried to identify, my guess is you'd run about 50-50. You wouldn't get it right. You know, they're not. Probably, yeah. These things are not determinative to that degree. Like, I can tell that X will equal Y. Yes, I think there are some stereotypes that probably fit in here. But yes, birth order is one part of that what's underneath this iceberg and therefore useful, I think.
1: To go back to the middle children. There was a study at the City College of New York. I thought this was interesting. That middle children in this study, they were looking at the sort of perceptions of being a middle child, which fortunately or unfortunately are more negative than for, not that the middle child is worse, but that it's worse to be the middle child. That's the perception in the world because of the Brady thing and whatever, our cultural perceptions. Yeah, the forgotten child, yes. But the middle child, so in this study, they had people say, like, what are oldest children like? What are youngest children like? What are only children like? They went through the different types of kids. And middle children, spoiled, did not make the list. It was, you know, top of the list for the baby or the only or even the oldest. It was in there, too. But middle children spoiled was never on the list. So, like, the good thing is we're not spoiling our middle children, sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> See, look at me.
0: I'm awesome. All right, we'll be right
1: back.
0: mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate.
1: Fresh for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first
0: handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. from the Wet Fresh Hell podcast. First child.
1: Do you like her first communion dress? Thank you. We had it custom made by the woman from the internet. Do you see how her name is embroidered above every little tulip? Middle child. Honey, if you just roll up the sleeves, nobody will even see her name. Youngest child. Yes, I know. The dress is too small and it has a stain and it has your sister's name all over it, but I completely forgot this was happening this weekend, so we're going to have to make it work. First child. The recital starts at three. It'll be Grandpa, Grandma, Aunt Sue's, Men and Pop, and all the cousins. And then afterwards, we're going to have a reception at Ernesto's. Middle child. Of course, Dad and I are coming to the recital, and we'll bring you flowers. Youngest child. Listen, we're going to do our best, but we've got your brother's basketball finals and your sister's gymnastics thing. So if we don't get there, just try to make sure somebody records it. Oldest child. We don't really believe in TV. We prefer to spend our time reading. Middle child. Oh, you know, she has a few favorite shows, but we try to keep her off YouTube. Youngest child. I sincerely apologize that my child explained the plot of The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It to the rest of the second grade in such detail at recess. We will make more of an attempt to limit her screen
0: time. This has been first child versus middle child versus youngest child. From the Wet Fresh Hell podcast.
1: All right, so let's talk about our youngest children. Oh, youngies. Because what I want to know, okay, later borns, according to, I think, perceptions that are usually pretty real, they're very agreeable. They go along and get along. They're open to experience. Um, my youngest is pretty, pretty fearless, you know, but we'll go with the flow. She's not worried about every new experience in the way that some other people in our family might be. But I do think if you asked my youngest child's older siblings, they would say for sure that I coddle my youngest, that I baby her, that I treat her differently, that I let my youngest get away with things that the oldest ones didn't get away with. And so I think that birth order can affect our parenting. Yes. And I also think that the kind of parent I am is also shaped by my own birth order, right? Like I am a by the book, let's do this right, let's not be in any trouble to anybody else oldest child sort of parent. And so I think that's another reason that birth order comes into things. It does affect how I parent.
0: Yeah. And we also both have boy, boy, girl, and you can't take that out of it too. Yeah, I know. But my mom's family was girl, girl, boy. And forever, they refer to my uncle as the boy prince because apparently, like it was a very, they lost uh, their father when they were young. And It was all these Irish aunts together. And I mean, the lore in the family is like, oh, finally came the boy. And these aunts just, you know, (laughs) could not get enough of him and everything he did. You know, he pooped rainbows. They just thought he was the greatest thing to ever happen. (laughs) And so there's a lot of factors. But yes, I think especially the youngest. My sister was the youngest after a five-year gap, There's a sort of that's a whole vibe, right? Like you've done it three times. Your older kids are kind of independent and now you have a new baby to start again with and you just sort of get the memo of like let's just enjoy this with the baby.
1: Right. And there's stuff you don't worry about. But it can go, I was on a plane with my youngest recently. So my youngest is 13, next to me on the plane, and Needs very little oversight, even though she's the baby. She needs very little oversight. because She's incredibly independent. Like, I don't say like, now, don't forget for the plane. You need to like, she just always has her stuff that she needs for the plane. I don't need to make sure she has a pair of headphones or whatever. So I don't oversee what she's going to do on the plane so much. Look over during the plane ride. I'm like, is she watching The Ring? She was watching like the horror movie (laughs) The Ring on her Phone. I'm like, and you know, we both have headphones on and masks on. So I'm sort of like, you know, indicating. I'm like, what? What's that? What are you watching? I don't know. It's to called the Ring. Like, the Ring. What are you doing? That is totally inappropriate for you. And she was like, oh, I don't know. like. So it was a lesson for me, and you know, the rabbit hole that could go down. She didn't really even know what it was. It was supposed to be a scary movie. I'm like, completely inappropriate for you. And she was fine with it. But when my oldest, if I travel with my oldest, when my oldest was 13, I think I would have been like. Do you have your workbooks? Do you have your this? We're going to, you know, spend this
0: time wisely, right? We're going to be more edified. And part of it is the learning that you've done as a parent. Like, oh, we don't need to do, you know, you've come a long way, baby, too. Right. I don't need to curate her experience. But then I was like, oh, my youngest is watching like a horror
1: movie that I would. I've never watched The Ring. Don't plan to. Don't think anybody's better off. Any of my
0: children are better off for having watched that movie than not. And that was to me like, wow, this wouldn't happen with my oldest. I feel like we need to add now that we've got Mailbag nailed down, we need to add another segment to this show called Oops, I apologize. Where we look back at things we said and we realized are just so wrong now. And my biggest oops, I apologize was when I had just one child. I was always sort of like, I don't understand parents who let their kids blank. And classically, I have come to realize that your third child is functionally feral. Anybody's third child, you mean? Yes, anybody's third child. <laughs> You're right. Here somewhere. Yeah. Here somewhere, don't know what they're doing, like don't have time to figure it out. And the biggest ex- example was that with my older child, people would come in and they'd be like, oh yeah, my kid. Goes to town by themselves. They watched, you know, this movie, that movie. And I was like, wow, those parents are kind of out of control letting their kid do that. Meanwhile, I had the kid who in kindergarten went to kindergarten class and was like, Have you guys seen Jurassic Park? A T Rex eats a guy while he's on the toilet. And I was like, Yeah, I'm sorry. Like her dad, like the nine year old wanted to watch it. And I guess she saw it. And like the other day, my kid, I was always like, My kids will not walk to town until they're in the sixth grade. The other day, my third grader walked to town with a friend, got up. I'm like, It all falls apart by the time all these lofty ideas. So anyway, oops, I apologize to anyone I judged because their young child was doing something I thought was too old for them because it turns out that that's just a factor of giving up. That's how it goes. And they might be better off. Didn't realize that when I was busy judging like, oh, wow, that kid sure has some salty language. All this to say it's another lane where birth order does kind of play a role in the way that first child, you overthink it. And then by the third child, you probably underthink it.
1: I mean, I definitely overthought it with my first child because I feel like that was my, the assignment I was given by the larger world. Like don't mess this up. There are too many ways to mess this up, but I can at least now, my oldest child is 18 now. And I. Have had many conversations with him, like, yeah, you're right. It stinks sometimes. It's hard. It's hard to be the oldest. I know. And you put lots of pressure on yourself. And I don't mean to put pressure on you, but I'm sure I do sometimes to just have honest conversations about I do know
0: what it's like to be the oldest. And it can be hard. And For sure. I mean, going back to William and Harry for a minute, because they're just birth order orama, you know. (laughs) It's like Harry's kinda like, Yeah, you know, this whole monarchy thing is kind of a goof now that I now I think about it and you know like I'm glad to be out of it blah blah and William's probably like yeah but it's my job to be this right. person you know it's kind of a good metaphor for birth order in general like that's I had the kind of luxury I was a third child but I feel like I was functionally more middle because of the gender thing and it's easy to be like They've thrown off expectations. We used to say this all the time as a joke, but I think it's actually true. My brother started having kids when he was 23 years old and he had four kids, two boys and two girls, and they're all Super high achieving kids, and we're like, way to take the pressure off us, bro. Like, I didn't have kids until I was 37 years old. I never heard anything about it from my parents. If I was the first kid, Mm -hmm. I think my parents would have been like, We want those grandchildren, where are they? But Mm -hmm. my brother checked that box and he gave me a lot of breathing room, which is a great way to think about it. (laughs) But you know, I don't know if he felt that pressure himself or that's just a choice he made, but there you cannot define yourself in opposition because the way other people define themselves it absolutely affects you maybe if William had been like the monarchy's not for me I'm gonna marry you know a hippie and move to you know blah 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 then Harry would have been like I'm going to take on this place in my family I'm going to take up this mantle because it's important that people's decisions do affect each other we're not siloed at all. Yeah. And they're kind of enabled by it, right? Like you get to be, you know,
1: the hippie who lives in a ski town now because I was the one who did it all. Like I was the one
0: you reacted against. That's right. And I think it's important just to underscore for ourselves and with our kids that like, when we over define that definition, we get into trouble. So we can see this in ourselves with like, if we're part of a sibling group, it's like, Oh, well, you never do anything because I'm here always taking care of everything. It's the stories. Yeah. Those stories are dangerous. And so, man, this is a theme of the podcast that have been really helpful to me. This idea of when you let your birth order or your sibling relationships, no matter what they are, define you you end up in a bad place and that you have to recheck that all the time. That And that I think when your son comes to you and says, like, being the firstborn is hard in all these ways because I have to this, that, that it's worth breaking it down a little bit and saying, what part is hard? Is that something you really have to do? Or is that something that you're thrusting onto yourself? Mm-hmm. And I think the reason where we're kind of goofingly, but we're using this William and Harry example is like they really are locked into their roles, you know, but it's kind of a metaphor for what goes on in every family. Right. Like, well, if you take over the family business, I guess I'll have to be a surfer who, you know, smokes weed on the beach in Cabo or whatever. <laughs> like you have to define yourself in absolute opposition to each other. And that that's something worth really checking for yourself and helping your kids check that you don't have to be anything because of who anyone else is. It's hard to fight that, but it's good to try to fight it. Right. Just
1: this morning, I had a moment. It's early summer. And so I have kids with some time on their hands. Right. So I'm thinking, okay, today you're going to do this. You're going to sign up for this thing online. You're going to clean your room, that kind of thing. And then there's jobs that just somebody has to do. Somebody has to load the dishwasher. Somebody has to walk the dog. And just this morning, just before this episode, probably because I was up thinking about birth order this morning, I went to hand the dog leash to an older one of my children. And instead, I'm like, nope, the youngest one can do this. The youngest one can walk the dog. Of course they can, because when my oldest was that age, my oldest was walking the dog, like, you need to walk the dog this morning, just to not always give the thing that seems to have the most responsibility until to the oldest person present. Right. And maybe it's because I am that oldest child, right? Like, well, you can handle it. You, you, you go always do. Yes, the older, older ones can handle it, but it doesn't mean I should never give the younger one any responsibility. So I'm going to try to lean into that to expect more responsibility wise of my younger child because there's every reason to believe that child can handle that responsibility. It's just I have to check my own story of the baby.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think in general, I'm less of a birth order believer than you probably like, I'm sort of like, "Eh, I think there's a lot of factors that go into this, but this conversation is useful to me in terms of a lot of other things, which are it's less birth order than it is for me. This idea of what did you call it? Like defining yourself in opposition. Oh yeah. That's de-identification. I think that de-identification thing is something to be very, very aware of in a family because Let's say you have a kid with special needs or you have a kid with a medical issue or you have a kid who is an elite athlete, that there are things that shift the dynamics in families and that it can be very easy for the people who are not in the spotlight. And I think what we're talking about in birth order is that somehow the oldest child is in the spotlight. And so the other kids kind of form identities around that. That spotlight shifts for all sorts of reasons. Yes, it does. And really trying to keep an eye on like, where is that spotlight on any given day. Is there someone it's never on? So if you have, let's say you have an elite athlete or you just have a kid who's like a really good soccer player and you're doing a lot of travel soccer or an ice skater and you're spending a lot of time at the rink and the other kids are like eating their, you know, ravioli out of the thermos in the car, whatever that dynamic happens to be, it's natural that you pour or even more naturally, if you have a kid who is, has a chronic illness has any kind of a special need, that you're researching that. You're pouring a ton of information on that. To me, the takeaway from this is like, are your kids getting too into, is it de-identifying? Like, Mm -hmm. are they getting too into an identity that is formed around something that is not core to who they are? Are they only defining their identity? In opposition, right? To something else. Uh In opposition to another person in the family. And that seems to me very worth thinking about.
1: I mean, I think it's pretty universal. So it isn't like, don't let your kids de-identify. We're not saying that. It's just more that they're going to. Oh, no, they're going to. They're absolutely going to. Right. But look at why that is. Right. And look, are there parts of that story that can be softened or pushed back against in any way? By who we choose to go run errands with us today. Yeah. Or who we choose, like, the last time we talked about this birth order thing, there was something that, like, dun-dun-dun. It was talking about just how to make sure you're treating the kids fairly. And it said, like, do you have more pictures of your first child with you alone around the house or just of the first child than you do of subsequent children. I mean, of course you do, right? Because you took pictures of your first kid and put them in frames in a baby book. And that's universal. But like, look around. If there's baby pictures of number one and not number two, like get some more baby pictures of number two. Ask the middle kid what's for dinner tonight. Make the youngest kid walk the dog once in a while. You know, just make sure you're not leaning even more into these rules.
0: Yeah. And I think that takes some time. I haven't thought about it quite this way before. And it's funny because we've talked about stuff around this a lot. It's worth taking some time out and sitting and having a conversation with your spouse or doing it by yourself with a piece of paper. Like, what are these each kid's kind of strengths and weaknesses? And where do we spend a bulk of our attention with our kids? Because I think that that's something I've never really done. And I'm sort of like, oh, life is life. Oh, well, we just keep moving along. But that it's worth taking time to say, like, are we pouring a ton of resources into our kid who is struggling in school and just expecting the other kids to like stay in their lane and keeping on and not, or are we very invested in one of our kids who has an extraordinary skill and not taking the time out to be like, hey, you did a great job with that drawing. Let's hang it up because we're busy like getting inundated with medals from another kid who has a really extraordinary gift. And mhm Very, very importantly, your goal is not absolute equity at all times. That is not realistic at all. Some people take up a lot of space in the world and take up a lot of oxygen out of a room for all sorts of different reasons. And some people don't. And like, you're not going to fight it all the time. But I do think you want to avoid the William and Harry situation where it's like, you're king and not king. And that's the only two roles available to you because... I think what happened to them is what's going to happen is that they're going to lose their connection to each other and they're going to have some like bad feelings about the family. Yeah, that's a. am talking metaphorically. That's a blown out, (laughs) crazy version. But it is funny how much I thought about it during this episode of like, oh, right. Like, that's just a very clear and extreme example of something that we're talking about that actually does happen in every family. Yes, but not now because we solved it. They need to call us, the Royals, (laughs) because we really have some good solutions for them. We can work this all out.
1: They've done a few select interviews. I don't know why What Fresh shouldn't be
0: next. Probably we're next. Mm -hmm. Probably. That's all I can figure. Friends, what we need to do, no matter what order you were born in, we need you to do something for us. And that is come to our merch store.
1: Yes. B-I-T dot L-Y slash What Fresh
0: merch. It's also on our website, com. You can find us. And let me tell you, whether or not you are the oldest or the youngest, you might still be a hashtag Oldie Locks. (laughs) It's a state of mind. We have Oldie Locks mugs. We have Oldie Locks t-shirts. We have Tweet Tweet sweatshirts. Tweet Tweet. It's always a thing and a thing. We have it all at the merch store. Come check it out. And with that, go be you. Whatever order you were born in. Yeah. And friends, we'll talk to you next week. I enjoyed this conversation, Amy. Me too. So long, everybody.